0: Hello, Cannonballs is back in your life. We were gone for a week because of our busy, 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 busy lives, but we are now back with the second half of the Jane Austen classic Pride and Prejudice. I'm sure you were just waiting with bated breath to find out if Mr. Collins died of devotion to Lady Catherine DeBoer. Um, He did! Ben is here. Hello, Ben. Hi, Gemma. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, And that voice gleefully proclaiming Mr. Collins' death, this did actually not happen, is Lauren McCarter. Welcome back, Lauren.
1: Thank you. It's the biggest twist ending in Austin. Mr. Collins dies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he just randomly died at the end and they were like, oh also he died because he was just too excited and then Charlotte lived happily ever after. Um oh, my so- dreams <laughs> the- That would be so great. So in our last episode, we read from chapters 1 to 31 or up to volume 2, chapter 8. And from here, we will go 32 to the end or volume 2, chapter 9 to the end, whichever your edition kind of does. Uh, But let us remind you of who all the characters are in this book. Um, I'm going to do this real quick, just give you a little tiny description. If you want a full breakdown, you can listen to our past episode. Uh, Lizzie is a a prejudice. That's what I've decided she is. Darcy is pride. (laughs) Lizzie is uh, Jane is Lizzie's good sister. Lydia is her dumb sister. Mary is her dreary sister. And Kitty is her like floating extra random sister. Uh, the gardeners are the Bennett's, aunt, uh, Bennett sister's aunt, and uncle. Wickham is a rakish soldier. Bingley is rich and loves Jane. Lady Catherine is also rich and is just an asshole. And Mr. Collins is a bore. I think that's what's important. Those are the important characters to remember. Um, in the second half of the book, here's the quick plot summary. And then we'll get right into the exciting part, which is talking about how insane all of these people are. Uh, Here you go. Second half plot summary. So Lizzie is staying with with the Collinses and Darcy keeps hanging around, but no one really knows why. Eventually he proposes to her and she's like what? And he also says, you're so lucky I'm proposing to you because your family is garbage. And she's like, never, I would never, ever marry you. One, you ruined my sister's prospects. Two, you were a dick to Wickham, who I kind of like. He then writes her a letter explaining why he was so rude to Jane and Bingley. And also it changes her mind about Wickham because Wickham tried to elope with Darcy's sister to get all of her money because he's just a gambling jerk. Uh, Anyway, it kind of changes her mind. Anyway, later Lizzie goes on a sightseeing tour and they stop at Pemberley where Darcy lives and she awkwardly runs into him, even though he's not supposed to be there there but he's really nice to her and her family for some even though he has expressed disdain for her family um and he introduces her to his sister and they hang out a lot and then Lydia and Wickham run off together but they're not married oh no very (gasps) scandalous and they live together yes so she confides in Darcy about this because she's very upset She takes off. She's like, I'll never see him again. My family is this dissolute mess. So he can't even talk to me anymore because of all the scandal. Anyway, then it seems like Lizzie's uncle convinces Wickham and Lydia to get married by offering Wickham money. And then the scandal is avoided. Uh, bingley comes back to netherfield starts hanging out with jane a lot and then proposes to her again lizzie finds out that actually darcy paid off wickham to marry her sister she's completely changed her mind realizes she's actually super into him and thinks she missed her chance but then lady catherine Bourgh, who by the way is darcy's rich crazy aunt comes and is like don't marry my nephew you're the worst person ever and she's like i'll do what i want and then darcy comes back proposes to lizzie they get married everybody's happy the and end Mr. of Stiles. the book
1: he does not die textual in my fan fiction mr collins dies i wish he would
0: die because he is just such as we'll discuss later on when we talk about manners he's just like so insanely rude but let's have the first my first topic i want to talk about is everybody seems to get want to get married we talked about this a little bit in the last episode but does marriage suck here are the marriages we know about the Bennett's who in the second half, they're like, Mr. Bennett married this girl because she was young and fun, but then she became insane. And now the wedding and the marriage is over. Lydia and Wickham who are forced to marry each other and already by the end of the book are kind of bored of their like three month marriage and Charlotte and Mr. Collins, which is just straight practicality. So marriage, good, bad. What do you think?
2: Bad. Why
0: well, do you think it's bad?
2: Ben? Um, Well, like you, like, I mean, you just said it, like every marriage, there's, there are no good marriages in this book. Um, I mean, we can ostensibly hope that Jane and Bingley's and Liz and Darcy's marriages are good, but we have no reason to believe they will be. Um, I I particularly, there's a passage uh, where Elizabeth goes into her parents' marriage. um, And she, I think she's the one who sort of reveals their, its backstory um, and the bit about how. Uh, when they were married, uh, Mrs. Bennett was sort of a different woman, um, like you mentioned.
1: That's a narration. That part's in narration, so we don't okay, know but for there is, sure how much she knows about that.
2: There is a section where Elizabeth basically admits that she knows her parents' marriage is terrible and a sham, yes. and she sort of admits that, or she sort of divulges that she kind of resents her dad for it, where if Mr. Bennet was a little more... Um, I don't know forgiving or open and didn't just hole himself up in his library every night that the marriage might the marriage might be able to work but he doesn't because basically everyone in this book is too selfish for any marriage to work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I think that Collins's and Charlotte's marriage does work in this universe where marriage is a contract. Like Collins gets to be married and he's happy about it because he has that that symbol that is being married in a wife. And Charlotte gets a nice house and she's like, "Well, I'm a spinster at 27, so here I am. Now I'm married. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to depend on my parents forever, and I kind of can be a little bit in control of my own affairs." So that seems to be like probably the best possible outcome one can hope Does, do you think
2: austin thinks their marriage is good though
0: well i guess she judges it a little bit but charlotte is portrayed generally in a light where she's made it work like she like we talked about in the last episode she has this parley that she sits in that he never goes into because it's not on his way to like go kiss lady catherine's toes <laughs> or whatever so she she's like made her housekeeping work in the sense that they almost never have to speak um, yes. so maybe that is an idea. Isn't I mean, that, yeah, like that's
2: married. itself a yeah. commentary <laughs> on marriage from Austin. Whereas if the best marriage in this book is the one where the wife has figured out how to completely avoid her husband.
1: <laughs> I think we're looking at this from a very 21st century perspective and Regency marriages were just not the way that we think of marriage today at all. And we can't overlook that. You know, Austin herself never married, but almost everyone in her life would have been married. It was such an important thing for women. Like, I mentioned in the last episode, that's a woman's job. You get hired as a wife. You... And the structure of considering love and affection around it were certainly part of the deal to make it feel like it was a choice for women or to make it feel like it was an acceptable ending. But even... So my high school English teacher li- gave us a listen and shout out to Ms. Wright. What's up? Uh, and she was pointing out that in the Regency era, it was extremely unlikely that most women would be considering affection or love in a partner at all. And it's really unusual that Lizzie did. Uh, so I so think the, but
0: this, is yeah. a, but this is a love story, right? Like this is a book that is about a love story, like the two couples who get married in the end. This is like. It's it's a in a sense that it is Shakespearean comedy, right? Like it ends with two marriages of two couples who are like, yes, we love each other. So what is the significance of love then?
2: Oh, I don't I know. That, what... You go ahead, Lauren. I,
1: I, I think that this is a fairy tale. That all all the romances that are set in this period are to some degree fairy tales because there's very few... There are very few stories where women have the actual agency to choose not to marry a man when it's on the table. You know, Lizzie rejects this proposal initially, but there was never really an idea that she would not marry at all. Even, like, once Jane was locked in, she was probably safe, but Lizzie didn't have aspirations to breed sheepdogs or something. She was going to, like, she was going to eventually find a husband. That was going to be the way she survived women didn't really have the luxury of having other aspirations. So the fairy tale is that you end up loving the person that you find. And that's exciting. And for young women who are hoping for that, it's something exciting to read. It's the same as the Twilight books where it takes all of these emotions and gives them an outlet. I I feel that this reads, this reaches for the same piece of a person's heart that, any pulpy romance does
2: today. Uh, but it's extremely well written, obviously. Oh man. So, I don't know if I would agree that this is a romance novel. I, why not? So when I, when I finished the book, I did not think that Austin was writing it as if, um, as if we should be happy for Elizabeth. I don't, because there's a, there's a part on page um, in my, well, in my edition, which I have the penguin edition uh, on page 352 where elizabeth says she knows she's happy or knows she should be happy rather than feels it and i think that sort of sums up that sums up how i saw the book is that all these characters are doing these things because they know they have to rather than, rather than because they feel any sort of emotion and you're right that you know characters uh, these women in this time didn't have the luxury of feeling like they should be happy um, because they had all these considerations to worry about. And actually, um, I was speaking to former Cannonball's guest, uh, Hillary Rich, who did the Prince and the Pop episode with us. Um, and she took a, she took a point of contention, uh, with us in the first episode of this podcast, when we said that, it, uh, Pride and Prejudice didn't have, uh, too much relevancy to contemporary times. Um, because she points out, uh, and actually she sent me, um, an NPR story where a lot of, um, uh i you know outside of america the these sorts of relationships still very much exist in the story is about uh pakistan where a lot of women in pakistan have to take into the same considerations as austen's uh heroines but i don't know i don't know if i buy that austen wants us to be happy for elizabeth i don't think we are we she is rooting for these the marriages at the end. I to- I mean,
0: I-, I totally disagree. I totally disagree. Like the last couple of chapters are about how dope their lives are once they get yeah. married. Like Lizzie's yeah. dad comes to visit them at Pemberley all the time. She and Darcy like goof off together, and Georgiana becomes less shy because she sees how frank Lizzie is with Darcy, and is like, "Oh, I guess that you really can just like have an open relationship with a dude." And Jane and Bingley just seem not the to way actually we in open relationship married. today.
1: It's slightly different mm-hmm. needing for that phrase. <laughs> not-
0: yes exactly um <laughs> though that is now my fanfic anyway <laughs>
1: uh, so so i do Bailey think that she is,
0: yeah oh my god how fun um but i do think that she does believe or at least the book wants us the book is not in any way an indictment of the system of marriage you
2: don't think so i i concur so. I think that indictment. you.
0: I mean, I think that there are marriages in the book that are not great, and I do think I kind of am a little bit leaning towards Lauren's point, which is that this strives to make something which is business romantic so that it, it, it can be, like, it can be fun and you can kind of buy into that fantasy of it, uh, mostly because at the end, they are happy. Like, she says she knows it but doesn't feel it once, but then for the next two and a half chapters, she's, like, uh, over the moon. She's just super excited all the time um i think that you can read other regency novels into this idea of marriage as practicality um i think that you have read like anne bronte a little bit like those are not people who are swept away by wild passions or love um it's people who are like oh here's a nice person that i think it would probably be fine and they won't steal all my money if i marry him right yeah uh, and I think, I think that may be a little bit more realistic. I, like, I, I just don't think there's enough in the end here to support the
1: idea that she doesn't want us to root for Jane and Lizzie. I think that there's at least she wants us to be I, – I don't know what she would want us to be other than happy for them. But for me, it was a tremendous sense of relief that they had crossed the line yeah, yeah. and they were safe, that they were not going I to think starve in a head yes. in Mrs. Bennett's words.
0: I also think it's more like we're happy for them because they are lucky enough to be married to people who they kind of like for now, and we can see the other fate, which is you could be Mr. or Mrs. Bennett, or you could be Lydia or Wickham. Or, like, there's medium place, which is Charlotte and Mr. Collins.
2: Yeah, I, I I, I would agree with your last point, where... Liz and Darcy are does have the best version of marriage in this book, but I sort of i like how you said there's not enough in the last few chapters to make us believe that this isn't an indictment of marriage to me it's the the opposite to me it's there's not enough in the first you know forty chapters or fifty chapters to make me believe that this isn't an indictment of marriage like right? to me it's the the story was just as much about parental abuse from Mister Bennett and particularly Missus Bennett sort of drilling into the heads of the, her daughters. Uh, a that they always constantly have to compare each other. Like I believe even in the end, Elizabeth is comparing her happiness to Jane's, which is fucked up on a you know another level, I guess. Um, but the fact that they just have to get married no matter what, and I I realize that that's you know that was just the fact of the time period, but I still don't I don't know I wasn't I don't know I, I wasn't happy with the ending in terms of like being happy for the characters.
1: I think I that's like you've reading it with a 21st century lens that like Mr. Bennett and Mrs. Bennett are supposed to be comic characters and everything they do is comical right up until it's not when they realize Mr. Bennett's lenient hand with Lydia has caused a disaster. I don't know why that falls entirely on Mr. Bennett. Cause Mrs. Bennett is obviously also a monster.
0: But Oh, Mrs. Bennett is just the worst. The worst part is when Lydia and Wickham do get married, and she just completely glosses over the fact that he's been forced to marry yes. her by the application of a great deal of money. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm so worried about her having the, white- the right wedding clothes. Oh, that's the most important thing. And Lizzie has to be like, maybe don't order them right now. <laughs> like maybe, <laughs> maybe chill out and wait until they actually are married before this happens, because they might just be living in sin until he leaves her at a train station. It's going to have been a very different book.
1: Yeah, I, I think that in the context of the time, they are an exaggeration of how real people were. Like What we're reading today is like, oh, they're horrible parents. At the time was just, oh, they could have worked a little harder on their educations. They could have been a little stricter about manners. But like, this is a time where you could beat your kids with sticks and no people would say you were negligent for not doing so. So saying that what we see today as this is horrible parenting would have been seen as horrible parenting then is not taking into account the context.
0: Well, I also think that everyone does kind of think they are bad parents. <laughs> like The whole neighborhood gossips about it. Uh, when, and everyone knows that Mrs.
1: Bennett is really embarrassing. Like everyone is embarrassed by Mrs. They Bennett think they're bad behavior. parents and that they're like kind of trashy, but kind of trashy yeah. parenting is a far cry from these kids are like in an unsafe environment emotionally. I don't think anybody even thinks of anything like that at the time.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't think that's even a concept. But obviously, they did
1: screw up Lydia. Yes.
0: Um,
1: (laughs) Whatever. there's, There's a lot in the text that Jane Austen seems to be pointing to. Like, this is how Lydia was. This is what Lydia was always going to be.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I mean yes, she is definitely scapegoated a little bit, but Kitty gets better just from not hanging out with her. Anyway, speaking of manners, let us discuss manners and etiquette in this book because that's something that really stood out to me. Is very constantly people would say, "Oh, it was it would be impossible for me to say this. I I can't I can't express this feeling. I can't even look at this person because what of what I know." Um, So, why what is the system of manners and etiquette doing for this book? How does it change the way people interact with each other? How does it increase or decrease tension? What do you think?
1: They're certainly living in a system where the right manners are not just every; they are an invisible structure holding up their whole world because class is so prevalent and so intense, and so you have to maintain that class structure with manners that acknowledge it.
0: So when you, and I think of it, I think of it sort of as like rules of the game. Uh, right. Which is why I just like keep thinking of this as how, how much like a fun strategy game, like getting Regency married would be.
1: Which reminds me uh, Sean Ireland, our old classmate from NYU sent me, he listened and sent me a card game, not the actual card game, but a link to purchasing the card game. That's a strategy card game to marry Mr. Darcy.
0: Oh, well we should play that. That sounds yes, really should. fun.
1: Um, but yes, rules so these,
0: of the game. Yeah, there are rules of the game of what one person can and cannot say. And, like, Lizzie kind of breaks them sometimes. Mrs. Bennet doesn't even know them, which is astonishing. Um, and people, like, they at the very beginning. There's this whole thing when we're like, oh, we can't speak to him because we've never been introduced. Like, what rule is that? How, how does anyone ever speak to anyone? Uh, ben, what do you think manners do for this book?
2: I mean, manners, I mean... <laughs> they almost serve as the plot device in this book, right? Like none of yeah. the action wouldn't really happen. I mean, and even what action does, play. I when I finished reading this book, I was sort of trying to think of what actually, what narrative action takes place. And nearly all of the major action takes place in letters in this book, I think. Um, uh-huh. And I think that is, I think that is a function of the rules of society then is that, like you said, you don't, you don't say things to, people into their face you you know have this confrontation and then you write a letter and hand it to them the day after like darcy does after he approaches to elizabeth he writes his confession in a long letter and then i think goes for a swim or something while she reads it and you know that's how you have to deal with conflict you don't necessarily have conflict um in person
0: interesting I feel like there are also rules to conflict though. Like you can say to someone that you don't like them. You just have to say it in a very genteel sort of way, or you can do, you can just be cold to someone, which to me did not seem very different from being nice to someone, but that's also a 21st century reading, um, I think you're right. I think you're right that it is sort of the plot device that makes... It's like in a sitcom before cell phones, it would be like, oh, we went to the wrong airport in New York or whatever. Like, it provides this device for misunderstanding. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, uh, and,
2: and sort of... And even lessons. Like, uh, I believe Jane's character growth is that she learns not to totally forgive Bingley's sister for being rude to her. Like, that, <laughs> that's what Jane's, uh, you know, lesson is from the novel, is that she's not completely uh forgiving of everyone for anything so
1: yes for the very first time jane is able to see that someone did a not nice thing yeah
0: (laughs) i'm so glad because caroline is such a bitch (laughs) anyway So, okay. So, but there are some things in this book that no one seems to think is rude, but me as a 21st century reader, and maybe you guys do too. But, um, when Mr. Collins wrote the letters to the family, I was just like, you are the worst
1: person. (laughs) The best part is how much Mr. Collins thinks he's the, he's the height of good manners. Mr. Collins thinks he's absolutely lovely and he's being ever so kind and condescending. But he's being twenty first
2: century condescending. Mr. Collins would be. Mr. Collins would be uh, David Brooks writing New York Times column in twenty eighteen. Oh
0: my god! You are so right. That is so correct wow yes because he's like because after the whole thing with Lydia Havens, he writes her the letter that's like oh thank goodness I didn't marry Elizabeth because then I would be caught up in this horrifying scandal (laughs) lucky for me anyway it would be better if Lydia were dead
2: yes exactly he he just has no concept he just has no perspective like he doesn't have self-awareness which is you know sort of um obvious but he doesn't have any he doesn't have any awareness of awareness of anyone else so I don't know what he's aware of right besides lady
0: catherine
1: hyper aware of lady catherine
0: (laughs) well lady catherine is also extremely rude which i think is hilarious when she comes to the bennett's house just to explicitly yell at lizzie for even entertaining the idea that she could ever be married to mr darcy and she's just and she's like oh it's impossible that you should ever
1: marry him and elizabeth is like well if it's impossible then why are you asking me about it my favorite part of that scene is when lady catherine is calling Lizzie's selfish and ungrateful and undutiful because Lizzie should refuse to marry Mr. Darcy to protect Mr. Darcy's reputation. Like That's such a fantastically magical thinking, insane way of expecting another person to behave. But Lady Catherine is sufficiently narcissistic that she thinks that's going to fly.
0: And it's like no wonder no one ever visits you at your house and that's why you have to hang out with Mr. Collins all the time because everyone hates you and no one wants to come over. It's true.
1: That that is I my I wonder about Mrs. Jenkinson. Mrs. Jenkinson is Lady Catherine's like live-in friend. Wait, uh... what? I don't remember oh yeah, that. she she yes. she like takes care of her invalid daughter also. She has no lines at any point in this book and she, she mo- just like sits there. If I were doing the gritty reboot, Mrs. Jenkinson would be replaced by a monkey or something. <laughs> oh, I thought you
0: were going to say in, if, in your gritty reboot, Mrs. Jenkins would be a murderer. Jenkinson would be like, it would become like, it would be like a full on Lady Audley's secret style Regency novel instead, <laughs> like full horror.
1: Uh, both. Some Why not both? Can be a shit. monkey. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, but like, but Lady she- Catherine has a weird live in friend who she supports apparently and i just i think that's so indicative of who lady catherine is that she has to Paying have a living friend. friend hanging
0: out with the curate which is quite beneath her and everyone's like oh it's so kind of her but really it's obviously because she's driven everyone else away um yes. so so rude so rude <laughs> um well let's move on to talking about the central relationship of this book Lizzie and darcy uh, what do you think about this relationship? What do you think it's a strong one? Do you think it's a realistic one, uh, Ben?
2: <laughs> I mean, again, I don't, I don't know how to feel about this relationship, particularly because it seems. I mean, you're right; it does come together at the the like the last two chapters where uh, Austin basically writes, "Here's why they'll be happy together." But up until that, I was struggling to figure out why these two were into each other. Uh, particularly when Darcy proposes the first time, I didn't really understand it because Elizabeth had only ever been mean to him. I mean, with good reason. I'm not, you know, saying she should like have been. A lot
1: of dudes are into that, let me tell you. Right, I, I guess,
2: and that's ostensibly what Darcy admits later on, right, is that he uh, he, fall, he, he tells Liz that he uh, fell for her because she was the first woman not to, you know, bend over backwards for him and sort of push back against his own, uh, you know, uptightness or whatever. Um, and I get that. I don't know if it's grounds for a strong marriage.
0: Well, let me tell you something, Ben, about when being like a young woman and trying to date. Let us learn it's like really hard. well i'm gonna say that it's really hard to be yourself when you're just trying to get some dude's attention like what is caroline other than a huge bitch i guess she's good at mending pens maybe like what what else is she what else does she do what does she like like well basically what we know is that she is just like snitty to jane and she tries really hard to get darcy's like attention but we do know things that lizzie does which is that she's just generally like a frank pragmatic person when she deals with people and the her personality can come out because she's not trying to get noticed so maybe it's also like the first woman who he has acknowledged to have had to be having a personality because he can see that maybe
2: yeah th- like, i i would agree with that i think that's true again i don't know if you should marry the first woman you see with a personality right
0: but i want the point is i'm not trying to i'm trying to say is that it's not just because she's mean right. to him it's because she's a person um and like yeah that's not great about the world that he lives in um but it does to
1: me seem that they are suited to each other what do you think lauren i feel like not i feel like i think I think that this is the only relationship in the book that has a real texture to it. Uh, I will go so far as to critique Jane Austen herself and say that she does an extraordinary amount of telling rather than showing. Yeah. So there's a lot of the inside of this relationship we never see because it's paragraph after paragraph of Lizzie confirmed her feelings to Mr. Darcy and Mr. Darcy expressed that he was ever so delighted, etc. etc. And we don't, see the language they're using. We don't see them interacting in any other way because it's described rather than shown to us, Uh, Mm -hmm. which makes it really difficult. And that's also, again, a product of the style of the time. You see that throughout literature from this period. So it's not shocking that that happened, but it does become frustrating when we're used to having those emotional moments so we can be along for the ride. This book does deprive us of a lot of those Uh, One of my favorite moments is when they're on their walk towards the end and he says very abruptly, you're too generous to trifle with my feelings. If you feel the same way you did last April, tell me and I'll never speak of it again. That's such a lovely moment where we're getting a reconciliation and I feel like we could be along for the ride and we could feel how Lizzie's feeling. But then the very next sentence is she confirmed that her feelings had changed very much rather than finding out what she actually says and having that emotion with her. so. It can be really hard to see where there's texture to this, but I think that these are characters who we both, we get to see both of them grow over the course of the Mm -hmm. book, which almost nobody else does. Jane does a little bit, uh, but everyone else is fairly static. And perhaps that's why they seem more in color than everyone else. And so they feel suited to each other by the end when they have found their way to each other after having diverged so wildly that they meet in the middle somehow because he apologizes for having been horrible you know he has that extremely rude moment very during his proposal where he talks about how awful her family is and her inferior connections etc but he loves her in spite of himself and she calls him on it and that made me so annoyed and like my ears were around my shoulders because i wanted to just throttle him or my shoulders were around my ears because I wanted to throttle him when I read that. And then you, you know, you when you get towards the end and he apologizes and acknowledges how horrible he was and how much he needed to be called on it. There's grace. There's grace there for him, and they extend grace to one another, which is what makes a partnership last. Which is what makes a couple last when they can both acknowledge their faults and forgive one another for those faults and agree to move forward together without holding on to those. That's the first moment for them where they are a couple is doing that. And that's really lovely and encouraging and a lovely portrait of how a partnership should be.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's one of the most extraordinary things about this depiction of a romantic relationship in this time is that they do grow towards one another and because of one another, uh, yes. which I think is, is very, very rare to witness in life and especially in fiction, where generally in fiction written primarily by men, I will say, the beloved is an object that does not change and can be gained in some way. But this is Precisely. not a novel. About like which we read Lolita has similar ideas, but also kind of upends that at the end but um uh, th- this these are two human people who who change the way that they are like when i when he writes the letter to her um after the proposal and he explains what his deal was with why he didn't want jane to marry bingley which is that he thought she was indifferent because apparently jane doesn't express a lot of emotion visibly and he says this thing that's like i did not believe her to be indifferent because i wished it i believed it on impartial conviction as truly as i wished it in reason it's just like you you can't decide that the way you read someone is objective truth and he basically writes this Really garbage apology letter. Like all the stuff about Jane is just garbage. And at the end, he's like, If you don't like me and that makes this all meaningless, well, fine, whatever.
1: God bless you. Goodbye. I was also so very annoyed with Lizzie book... for being so touched by that. I was like, That's a garbage well, letter, wait, Lizzie. Okay. It Stick is a garbage letter. But
0: the part the, but the part about Wickham, she understands, she's like, Wow, that is actually yes. really screwed up yes. and I kind of get it. And then she talks to him again later and his bearing has changed. And then he apologizes for how he wrote the letter late later he says that like oh I thought that I was being really like disciplined and nice when I was right reading it and then he says I believe myself perfectly calm and cool but I am since convinced that it was written in a dreadful bitterness of spirit which acknowledging that he did something like this is truly astonishing like that, that that amount of growth could happen is, Especially because he does so
1: without an end game. He thinks that yes. game over for him. He doesn't think he's going to get anything out of her at this point. He just does yes. it because it is correct to acknowledge that he was being horrible.
0: Yeah, and he's changed so much, and she's also learned to stop jumping to wild conclusions and talking shit about everyone all the time. Which is like these are good things, uh, and it's it's really it's really lovely, and I'm I'm very happy about that. Um, because it's rare to see any kind of relationship like that in literature.
1: Yes. And it's nice that by the end, he is not an object for her to gain either. That he becomes a real person who she can see living with and enjoying his company rather than like jackpot 10000 a year in the bag
0: yeah and it's only the mom thinks like that mrs bennett but he does like he overcomes a lot of his reservations like at the beginning he doesn't speak to anyone and then she's stunned when he gets along with her and uncle so much and her uncle has a real job oh my god but it's fine like they just and they continue to hang out after they get married which i i think is is really wonderful yes um Anyway, I I find this really engaging because, specifically because there's been a big, we can talk about this in depth or not, whatever you guys want to do, but like there's been in the cultural conversation recently, this idea, there's this story on the week kind of recently about how women are kind of forced to live in a world that's created for men's pleasure, And what I find so endearing and endlessly fascinating about this relationship is that Darcy changes so much because he thinks Lizzie will like it. Like he does that even though he doesn't think that she will actually marry him up until Lady Catherine tells him about their whole conversation. He just does things because he doesn't want her to feel badly uh, about the way he's behaved. And I, I think that's astonishing to see depicted in almost even contemporary fiction in many many ways which is
1: why it's a fairy tale (laughs) (laughs)
0: uh ben what do you think have have we changed your mind at all
2: um i i don't know i i don't know if i buy darcy's growth as much like i think it's you know he does admit that he was wrong um I, I don't know. He still seems judgy at the end. I do think the nicest moment in this book comes when Liz uh Elizabeth makes a joke about her marriage and like she I think she's talking to Jane and she's like, I first loved him for his property and then it's
1: like, That one's hilarious.
0: That's one of the better Jane. lines. I uh, oh, and then they're like, Oh now we can laugh together. Right. Ha, ha, ha. I
2: um yeah. But she's so not there for that. That's just a No, jam. it's just yeah, it's just him and Jane. And I I but I do appreciate it. I think I think that shows how um aware elizabeth is of the fact that she's marrying this insanely rich guy uh but not because he's rich necessarily which is uh you know progress and a good thing i just think the bar for good marriages in this book is so low
1: i think the bar that for good true. marriages in that century was
2: really low yes i think that's right i yeah i think that's true i don't and i am clearly you know looking at this from a 21st century perspective um but i almost i i don't know I guess I was, I read it expecting a critique of marriage and that's what I saw. I don't, I'll have to go back and reread pages.
0: I feel like there are definitely some novels that I should think should be critiques of marriage. Like Jane Eyre, which I (laughs) (laughs) still, that's, I have a lot of feelings about that. It's different, but I, I, yeah, I'm just not sure that this one really is crazy Um, attic
1: wife no big
0: (laughs) crazy attic wife fire in the church all that business um anyway so okay let's move on to talking adaptations because there are so so many of this story just a truly ridiculous amount so uh let's talk about our favorites Uh, some unexpected ones, whatever, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, Ben, do you know of any Pride and Prejudice adaptations?
2: Oh, I I am very, I I will say, I don't think I've ever watched any of the movies, but I'm pretty sure I absorbed by osmosis the six-part BBC series. I believe the one with (laughs) Colin Firth because my mother just had it on nonstop when I was a child. Like, I just, I just (laughs) believe, I think it was on constantly from when I was three till ten. Um, so I'm pretty Correct sure I just if I'm
1: wrong, but the swimming scene
2: is not Canonically in the book, right? I right, I kept waiting for that one I. That's why I, every time Liz and Darcy Interacted on, in Pemberley I just imagined Darcy dripping wet <laughs> 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 And I think it's I Honestly, I think it's because of that adaptation Because I just saw that scene so many times uh, Remember
0: that terrifying statue they tried to make that was supposed to be Colin Firth as yes. Mr. Darcy and it just looked like a monster golem like rising from the lake? <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, wow. Well, okay, well, have you ever seen Bridget Jones's Diary? I
2: have not, but I've heard it is a uh, an adaptation. But I do want to mention... It's really uh,
1: not, it's not.
2: The plot is not similar
1: in any way. It just has Colin Firth. I Brid- don't think that's true. Bridget Jones wants to find plot- a man, but otherwise there's very little there are lots of movies I mean, and stories about finding she, a man yeah
0: i mean yeah but i think it is intentionally like about two people who have different expectations of life like he he is like darcy he's like rude to her when they first meet it's not like this is this is basically the prototype rom-com of people i mean of course i think most rom-coms miss the boat because all the people are still terrible and rude to each other and <laughs> they don't actually grow in any way where they do in the story but British jones's diary like Mark Darcy sends his kid wants to send his future kids to Eton, and Bridget Jones wants to doesn't care where her kids go to school, and it's like a very similar idea of like oh here's this haughty person, and here's this like Frank
1: doofus. Um, the whole Hugh Grant, I guess I see that none of, of the divergence. extraneous pieces of the story, other than these characters don't like each other, and then they do like each other, are in place in Bridget Jones's Diary. Except for, I guess Hugh Grant is a Wickham character. That's that's about it.
0: Yeah, but yes, he kind of is. And I, I do think that is that is based on, on all of this thing. But Lauren, you're really a big fan of the Joe Wright adaptation,
1: right? With I'm Karen a huge Knightley. fan of the Joe Wright adaptation. And I, I would even argue that there are ways in which it's better than the book because there are so many uh, – no, I would uh, – <clears throat> <laughs> that was my brain buffering. <laughs> there are so many moments where the Joe Wright adaptation – Takes pieces, creates pieces that are not in the text or takes pieces that are in the text and provides emotional connection for you that the text deprives you of because of its tendency to tell rather than show.
0: Uh, I, I do think-, think that the film,
1: yeah, the Joe Wright film does a really
0: great job of making emotion flow out of silent moments.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's very visually lush, it's an aesthetically lovely film uh i think matthew mcfadden is an excellent mr darcy perhaps superior oh, to colin firth because matthew mcfadden's eyes are so weird and sad all the time that he uh, lends this vulnerability to the character that colin firth has zero vulnerability as mr darcy all, like his face is just a stone wall the whole time and matthew mcfadden can very easily vacillate between looking very haughty and very desperate to be loved Uh,
0: Yes, oh, like that scene where he tells her that he loves her and then immediately goes on to be like, but your family is trash, plays really well.
1: Yes, (laughs) and you totally buy it. And I had a harder time buying it in the BBC adaptation with Colin Firth. Also, Jennifer Eel, is that how you say her last name? She Lizzie's supposed to be 20, and she could easily be 38 through that film. She does not pass as 20. And so it's very hard to be on board. Stumbling through life. Was she actually 20? I feel terrible now. Uh, but no, she, no, no, not she that. reads as much, much older than Lizzie's character. And Kira Knightley is convincingly like 21, 22 throughout the Joe Wright right. film. It's but a lot she's easier also, to like, believe that story. I
0: also think that Kira Knightley is so crazy attractive. Like she's so pretty that the idea that Jane is the prettiest one just isn't like, no. <laughs> <Like, that's
1: laughs> well, Rosamund Pike is also super hot, but they. <laughs> It was a vehicle for she theory, lightly, obviously, she but is. But everyone, kids, I've yeah. said this before. Everyone in the Joe Wright adaptation is way hotter. It's just a generally yes. hotter cast. Donald Sutherland is a flawless Mister Bennett. You could not have yes. picked a better actor for Mister Bennett. Everything also, he does delights Wickham in
0: Wickham in the BBC version, you're like, ew, what?
1: <laughs> like, yes, he, he seems crazy, evil. and it's uh, Rupert Friend, who's Quinn on Homeland. In... And you're like, how could anyone fall for your, your tricks, man? <laughs> like, you don't have
0: the charm to pull this off. Sorry. It's Also, true. the 2005, um, the favorite...
1: Harry Mulligan's first film. Just a fun fact for you.
0: That is a fun fact. Uh, even though mm-hmm. I do think, though, Joe Wright did a great job casting Keira Knightley in this movie, um, she was way too young to play Anna Karenina in that adaptation. I don't care. I that adaptation I hate that movie. Like, I it have made a lot of problems with so that. So but about... we ever ever talk about Anna Karenina I will complain about that movie for uh five hour episodes Gemma's hardcore movie criticism um my favorite adaptation uh I would watch all the time when I was a kid it's the one with Greer Garson and Laurence Olivier it's the 1940 <laughs> adaptation it. um it's the very it's the first time I ever even encountered the story was that that film um it's always on in, in on TCM during Oscar month because it was Oscar nominated film um and it's, like, Greer Garson has so much spice and pizzazz, and, like, there's a lot of 40s Hollywood glamour about it, too. Uh, and I think it preserves the original spirit of the book in the way that a lot of, of those 40s films do, which is it's very straightforward. Like, it's just people just having conversations about their feelings all the time. Uh, and it's it's really wonderful, and Laurence Olivier is great in it, and Greer Garson is really fun.
2: I will I will say I am surprised at how many adaptations there are having read the book now for the first time, because um like i said in the beginning so much of the plot and so much of the action happens in letters and we don't see the most interesting i think like to me the most interesting section and that would be make for the movie is the hunt for lydia and wickham and we don't see any of that in the book really so i i'm i i think it's an interesting challenge to adapt this book into a movie
0: I mean, maybe it's because you do have a little bit of leeway there. Right. Like, you don't have to be super faithful. You can have room for creativity. Um, also, Public fun fact baby. <laughs> about the
2: 1940
0: adaptation is the screenplay was written in part by Aldous Huxley. Wow, no that is a fun fact. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, love loved this. I actually think it was on TCM kind of recently. So if you have TCM now, you can probably watch it on your computer um, well, or have Chromecast cable, or whatever. Mr well get your parents password (laughs) Uh, can i talk shit about my least
1: favorite adaptation
0: for a few minutes yes i'm going to talk shit about mine too so what's your least favorite
1: it's pride and prejudice and zombies
0: which is trash on top of trash
1: in a trash fire (laughs) i never read it why do you dislike it i read the first half of it uh because i deeply and passionately love pride and prejudice and thought this is a really interesting way to allow female characters who mostly have to be inert and subject to men's will throughout the book to become active because they say explicitly, Oh, all of these young women have to be armed all the time because of the zombie threat. Uh, for listeners who are not familiar, pride and prejudice and zombies is a book and a film adaptation where it's pride and prejudice set in a universe where there are zombies. However, rather than, yeah, I don't know if you caught that. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, early on in the book they talk about how all of the Bennett sisters are trained in like jujitsu and zombie slaying and a number, like, a number of martial arts rather than intelligently integrating zombies into the narrative it's just the book with cut scenes to and then zombies showed up and Elizabeth kicked a zombie in the teeth and then Kitty fired an arrow at a zombie it just cuts back and forth Whereas, you know, the scene where Lady Catherine de Borg, for instance, is talking to Lizzie about how unaccomplished she and all of her sisters are, that could be a much more interesting scene when they live in a world where to survive, they have to have a number of martial arts. But instead, it's just the same scene and then zombies show up over and over and over again. so lame. It falls deeply, deeply short of what could have been a very, very interesting commentary and deconstruction of a book and completely changed this narrative on its head. When women have to protect themselves from undead hordes, how important is marriage? How does that change how you interact with other people? What are you prejudiced against when you have to kill zombies all the time? What are you proud of when you have to kill zombies (laughs) all the time? That's a much more interesting take, and the book took a much easier route, let itself off the hook, and made a ton of money, and made a film adaptation, and made a bunch of money. And it's very, very disappointing and very poorly executed. Second worst is Death Comes to Pemberley, which is... Just a terribly written murder. It's not terribly written, but it's not a very good murder mystery that I think tarnishes the legacy of this book. And it's a little bit supernatural and does not fit in the right world and is just reader porn for people who liked Pride and Prejudice a lot.
0: Well, everybody does love to write fanfics about this book and then get real book deals. Um, my least favorite adaptation that I've read recently is Eligible. It's the Curtis Sittenfeld adaptation. And I feel like it's part of some kind of Austin project where people write contemporary adaptations. Um, I heard that people really enjoy Curtis Sittenfeld. I've never read Prep, which I hear I probably should. Um, but Eligible is, uh, uh the concept is that they live in Cincinnati for some reason. And, um, like the honestly, people you live there. okay. i know i know but like all the scenes and they're like oh and then i ran into him at pemberley in the book it's like oh and then i ran into him at skyline chili (laughs) (laughs) real true thing that happened and the idea is that they're like rich people of cincinnati and that um bingley is a contest a former contestant on a fake bachelor-esque show called eligible and he was the bachelor but he didn't marry anyone so he's coming to the city and everyone's like oh and Jane they've updated all their ages to make it seem weirder that they're not married because obviously it's 21st century so Jane is like 30 and not married and she meets Bingley yes. and gets into it um and it's just like i i feel like what it did was take the aspect of pride and prejudice that we all kind of caught which is like sometimes these people are not very likable and just made that the whole thing like what if a lot of people made a lot of bad decisions and kind of weren't romantic adults but still got married anyway and I think it's just a I think it's it it misses in like what a lot of romantic comedies that I think are inspired in by this novel do is it removes the part where the characters have to grow and change and just is like oh maybe meet people who are mean to each other all the time should just get married like and I think that's kind of boring also the way that they handle the Wickham storyline is I think that she handles the Wickham storyline is kind of offensive so you
1: spoil it for me because there's no way I'm gonna read this Ben can I spoil it for
0: you? Yeah
2: I'm yeah I'm not gonna read this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay spoilers
0: listeners if you're gonna read Eligible. So what happens is that Lydia starts dating a transgender person and it's treated as though this is like the world's biggest problem and the way that yeah it's not good and the way that because like it's obviously in the book it's like there are social consequences like negative social consequences for being uh like uh for living out of wedlock together whereas like in this book, it the, the way that it's handled seems really ham-handed and, like, it wants to be enlightened, but it actually, like, doesn't – it just makes everyone involved in the issue seem
1: really uneducated and, like, a jerk. Um, is there so, like, really I, – I don't know a lot about Cincinnati. Does Cincinnati actually have, like, a society the way that Charleston and New Orleans have society? Like, is there a Cincinnati up, debutante ball? I, do, I don't know. I mean – apparently in this book that that is the concept yes um but like
0: i I, yeah my my i just felt like the treatment of that story was like using a person's like using a transgender person's story as like a a signaler without giving that person like giving the actual like do any kind of like real expression it was more just like oh look at this thing i'm gonna do to be edgy as opposed to like let me give real space and time to this character and i thought
1: that was offensive. Uh, that's deeply fucked, especially because we get throughout the book that Wickham is a bad person of low moral character and that is why he is a problem. And so that to, to, yeah. to equate that yep. in that is horrifying.
0: Yeah, I mean, Darcy. It's not like Darcy knew this the Wickham character before, so that's kind of removed. And it's not like oh, Darcy like got because if, if if it had been like oh, and then Darcy like cast off this person, it would be like that's really terrible. Like Darcy is a terrible person. Yes, um, but that's not that that's not in there. So it's just like a different storyline, and I I wasn't really a fan of how that was handled. Do they call um, him
1: Will Darcy? That seems to be how people update the name. I don't
0: remember. I don't remember it all okay. um but
1: anyway like pride and prejudice and baseball or whatever it was called
0: oh right or he was a Cy who young got, who Cy young when he got way under market <laughs> contract
1: which was trash
0: and speaking of that fanfic it is now yeah that's my main issue with that story is not whatever adaptation but that will darcy needs to get us Scott, get call scott boris and get a better deal anyway.
1: who is your agent will darcy
0: you need a new one anyway that means it's time to play our favorite game die of death in which we roll a die and we will play a game associated uh with the number that we roll since this is the end of the book there are no predictive games so we can play describe the book in three words wow that got racist or sexist who goes nazi would you rather pitch the bad gritty reboot or share a little of the most entertaining fanfic you can find uh lauren would you like to go first
1: would i ever
0: all right here it goes i'm rolling for you You got four, which is would you rather. I have some questions. Ben, I don't know if you have some questions, but I'm going to ask them to you now. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Uh, Would you rather be dead or be (laughs) Lydia?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Well, Mr. Collins would rather Lydia was dead. I would rather be (laughs) Lydia because even though she's bored with Wickham, she's clearly getting some good D. And Lydia does not (laughs) seem constrained by concerns about her reputation so she's gonna go on to newcastle and when she's real bored of wickham she's gonna find somebody else lydia's gonna do lydia she's an anarchist and a chaos monster which i get seems like a lot of fun she's going to be constantly poor for the rest of her life because she's always going to spend all of her money on like chocolate and dresses which is what i would love to do anyway (laughs) Uh, yeah so she's going to come to a terrible end if you believe in uh how death comes to pemberley does it they just send her to america at the end and she and wickham are going to go live in the colonies and train horses which actually sounds like fun too i don't know lydia's having a lot of fun she's a chaos monster and nobody likes her but she doesn't know that
0: i think you're right she's actually pretty she's like not aware of the fact that nobody likes her and that she has bad manners and maybe they are just going to have like a crazy open like pansexual relationship with yeah, everyone whoever a- comes through their doors yeah Sorry, i thought that, lydia got they were going idea. to throw
1: a lot of plates at each other
0: <laughs> All right, next question. This is an FMK question.
1: Yes, ready. Uh,
0: okay. Mr. Collins. Yeah. Lady Catherine. Uh, Mrs.
1: Bennett. Mrs. Bennett?
0: Kill Mrs. Mrs. Bennett.
1: Bennett. <laughs> Kill Mrs. Bennett. No questions. No questions asked. Uh let's see. And then it's F and M with What's His Face and What's Her Face. Okay. Mr. This is Collins a or Lady Catherine. It comes down to a question of who can I tolerate less? Because that's the one I'll F and then M the other. <laughs> I think I can, I think I'm going to go with, have a sensual evening with Lady Catherine de Borg. <laughs> marry Mr. Oh, well Collins, well marry Mr. Well Collins well so I can just pull a Charlotte Lucas and never have to talk to him or deal with him.
0: Yep, you've really made the pragmatic choice here. You get your own house and poultry, which everyone seems super obsessed with. Everybody's way
1: into the poultry and oh, the poultry. sitting rooms and it's writing true. letters. Uh, and Lady all Catherine, I, I could probably kill her just by accident. <laughs> <laughs> I could turn to the- well, also well, kill man. her. You're like, I could probably turn exactly- this into a triple kill. <laughs> kill, kill, and kill. Mr. Collins would yes. kill
2: himself after Lady yeah, Catherine is exactly. dead.
1: I oh, can exactly. slip yeah, all can... kinds of poisons into Mr. Collins' various meals. Not that I ever would. I'm a deeply moral person. To <laughs> Death <laughs> comes to Rosings. Death <laughs> comes to Rosings. Death comes to Huntsford. Death comes to every estate. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. This is the last question. My last. If, Ben, if you have any. I, I have off. one. Okay. I have one. Oh, oh okay. good. Okay. Well, I'll do this one and then you'll do yours. Um, would you rather spend all of your time mending pens? Oh, my God. Or hang out every single day with Caroline Bingley? Oh,
1: that's so hard. I'm going to go with hang out with Caroline Bingley every day because... You're her paid friend. You're her paid living friend. I'm her Mrs. Jenkinson. (laughs) Uh, I do love gossip. I love it a lot. She's awful, but again, I can eventually murder her, right? No, probably. (laughs) Let's assume I can't murder my way out of every problem. I just I would get so bored mending pens they don't even have podcasts back then so I can't like throw on an episode of the dollop and mend pens for 24 hours. So I would hang out with Caroline Bingley I guess it comes down to a question of whether I want to be Mary who just does boring Mm -hmm. stuff all the time, or hang out with Caroline Bingley who's a mean gossip, and I'll go with the mean gossip because I was a girl in middle school and high school so I've done that for years already I'm really good at it. All right, Ben, what's your question? Uh,
2: My question is, who would you rather have as a uh, wing woman, Mary or Mrs. Bennett?
1: Oh, my God. Mrs. Bennett. Mrs. Bennett. (laughs) I can.
2: Mary's not going to do anything
1: for me. Mary is useless. But Mrs. Bennett, even though she's embarrassing, like, I can make that work. I can play off of that. She's, you you know, yeah. it's an improv scene. She's giving me stuff to work with. Mary's not giving (laughs) me anything. Yeah, the logic between, behind Mary would be like,
0: if you went out with Mary, like you would definitely have better luck than her, right? Right, right. But also, she would not leave, and that's like the key point of a wing woman yes. is to just like leave when you're supposed to leave, as opposed to Mary, who would be like, "Oh, let me sing a song for you now." <laughs> like,
1: who's a better wing woman? A, someone who's way over aggressive as a wing woman, or way
2: under aggressive?
1: And I think it's going to be way over, trying too hard versus
2: trying not at all. Do you
1: think, my,
2: my fear would be that Mrs. Bennett would try to steer you to the totally wrong people, though? I don't know.
1: I can play that. I can work with that. Because <laughs> then I find my target, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you would not believe. Can you just, like, sit with me and drink for a minute? Because Mrs. Bennett keeps steering me towards that guy, and I don't want to. Done. It's done. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Back. I mean, it worked for Lizzie. It like- did she got the friend she got the friend of the guy she did She did. and mrs collins was working hard or mrs bennett was working hard to get her with mr collins yeah so it all was fine uh it was all good she threatened Uh, to disown her if she didn't marry mr collins (laughs) and she still made that one work
0: still great uh all right all right ben are you ready i'm ready all right let us roll you got three who (laughs) goes nazi uh
2: mr collins definitely Uh, I'm skeptical that he's not already a Nazi, honestly.
0: (laughs) Somehow an early Nazi. I mean, I
2: think Lady Catherine probably is already. (laughs)
0: 100% Um, Lady Catherine goes Nazi. for sure.
2: And, um, I mean, those are the two obvious ones. I don't, Jane is a hard one for me where I feel like Jane is kind of the person who doesn't want to see bad in anybody. So she'd probably be like, ah, they're not so bad, right? Um, (laughs) They wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for a good reason. Right, right. She she assumes the best intentions, which is a problem. Uh, Uh,
0: Lydia, instant Nazi. They're like, hey, do you want these extra ration cards and these pantyhose and chocolate? She's a Nazi. Right, Lydia would just
2: see a group of SS (laughs) hanging out and she would just uh, automatically just decide for herself that she is a Nazi. Oh yeah, (laughs) collaborator for
1: sure. Darcy would be too. Like, his Uh, elitist sentiment throughout, he probably would be.
2: And yeah, he's and, lucky you
1: know, that he lives in a time
2: when he's not put in that position. Best I'll case scenario, Darcy is a Nazi at the start of the novel, and then uh, <laughs> grows into sort of just a, a mole. You know, best case scenario, I think. KT but is the only person I'm confident
1: on seventeen.
2: <laughs> La Elizabeth is the only person I'm confident who would not be a Nazi. She, she would just
1: die. Like they would
2: just shoot Right. Her. Yeah. Yes, she, she, would would laugh long, she would not last long. But she would not be
1: in the resistance. Nobody displays an extraordinary amount of moral courage here.
2: Right. Yeah. Uh, poor Pemberley.
1: We have no resistance <laughs> fighters in this book. We have at at very best unwilling collaborators. <laughs> wow.
0: Wow. 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 What a bleak, what a bleak game, but I love it. It's my favorite one that we do. (laughs) I am now going to roll for myself. I got my favorite one. I got two. Wow. That got racist or sexist, which I always roll for myself, but usually it's one. So that was kind of surprising. Um, I I mean, like Lauren pointed out in the last episode, there aren't a lot of moments in this book that's like, oh, this is racist because it just takes place in a world full of rich white people. Um, But it is just like generally sexist. Uh, based on what is expected from women, um, specifically through Mister Collins, who's oh, just dear. like, "Oh, how like how horrible it for all of you that this should happen, and that the death of your daughter would be a blessing in comparison with the fact that she just banged someone she's not married to, uh, and and that everyone is going to lose their happiness because of this moment." So basically, this like entire structure of the novel is pretty sexist. Um, do you so think mr collins's parents loved that.
1: him
0: oh i think he they absolutely didn't like i also think that he mentions in the beginning that they didn't like that his dad was kind of cold and weird and when his dad died he was like awesome now i can try to like make friends <laughs> yeah i was just thinking about how awful out. he is yeah he's just he's just the worst person um So so, I think that's my main thing about how how sexist it is. Though I did like this one line uh, that I it came up when they were discussing when Jane and um, Darcy, or when Jane and Lizzie are discussing Mister Darcy, and they're like, oh, maybe he's actually okay uh and then lizzie says one may be continually abusive without saying anything just but one cannot always be laughing at a man without now and then stumbling on something witty <laughs> which i liked i like <laughs> always laughing at a man which is which is great and how i feel all the time in my life always laughing at men uh the other thing that i liked was uh when they when they like talk when he talks she talks to colonel fitzwilliam this is just a moment of like oh for once this is like kind of non-sexist and describes how i feel she's talking to darcy's friend she's like makes this minor cameo in the book for whatever reason and they stop talking to each other and they think she thinks oh maybe he'll be kind of into me but he's not whatever fine i don't care and they part and she says they part at last with mutual civility and posh, and possibly a mutual desire of never meeting again It's like when you go on a date with someone and it's just fine. And you're like, okay, so nice to meet you. And it was, but I'll probably never see you again. And that's great too. Yeah. I've been
1: on a hundred of those. I'd be disappointed because I'm in love with Colonel Fitzwilliam. He's the one I would marry. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, Though, though we, that, that, that's my moment of saying, at least we had these small breaks of women laughing at men and having general civil interactions to distract us from the overwhelming sexism of the concept of the book uh so that was pride and prejudice friends it sure was (laughs) which are you pride or prejudice answer real quick and then i'll (laughs) tie it up prejudice Prejudice. (laughs) oh good job good job you got two you got two out of that one uh lauren thank you so much for joining us on the show
1: it has been my pleasure please come back yeah whenever you do anna karenina or jane (laughs) air do a mashup i did a board game about anna karenina in high school i want to play that um
0: ben thank you for giving me a week break
2: of course thanks Uh, for having me on yeah we'll well, we'll we'll be be back next week your
0: podcast too (laughs) (laughs) we'll be back back next week uh in time for february we are going to do a month of questionable relationship novels starting with the scarlet letter i am i'm uh, someone Yeah, get really excited. Find someone that you're not supposed to date and listen to it with them, uh, preferably with an illegitimate child. Uh, That will be the next two weeks. We'll be reading Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter. So pick it up and read along. As always, if you would like to engage with us on social media in any way, you can follow us on Twitter at Cannonballs Pod. That's Cannonballs with a Z and only two Ns. Uh, Or you can find us on Instagram under the same handle. Uh, Please chat with us. We want to chat with you. And I'll see you next week.